The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. We have been 12 weeks in the book of John, and this week we're taking a break. This week and next week, this week we're looking at uh, what we're calling the path of a mature disciple, and I'll explain uh, more of what that means in a second. This, is, this comes from uh, a book I read two months ago in a class, and it really rocked my world. And so I started thinking, what does it mean for us not just to commit to following Jesus, but to grow in maturity? What does it mean for us not just to commit to following Jesus, but as people actually grow in our faith? Uh, a lot of times, the only time you hear the word maturity is when um, you're saying someone's kind of pretentious, right? Like, oh, aren't you mature? <laughs> aren't, aren't they so mature? Which is really unfortunate because maturity simply means that you've come to the place of being able to take on more responsibility with wisdom and grace. And you've grown up, you have more understanding and use that well. And so, man, my prayer for us is that this will be a launching pad for our church to grow in the faith together. So path of a mature disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple and what does it mean to grow? What I want to start with is sharing with you some statistics. This is probably not what you're used to at church, but sharing with you some statistics that shaped me, that changed me because I couldn't let them go. Oftentimes you hear about people staying awake at night because of something, and I, I kid you not, these things have kept me awake at night because I, I wondered how we got to this place and, and what we will do to change the place that we're in. And these are the statistics. The state of the church in the U.S., 95% of Christians will never win someone to Christ in their entire lifetime. That was it. That was the statistic that made my heart break and made me think, in the church, we aren't doing something right. And I'm not just saying refuge, I'm just saying church as a whole. If in 95% of Christians, that's almost 10 out of 10, right? That's almost all of us. We'll never see someone else come to know Jesus because we've loved them enough to share our faith with them. We want them to know this Jesus that we have found to be not just good for us, but Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of lords, King of kings, 95%. It's incredible. 91% of born-again adults do not have a biblical worldview. Um, And I want to explain again what born-again and biblical worldview is just so we know what I'm talking about here. But but again, I, I presented this to a class I had recently, and there was a lot of pushback. I could feel a lot of tension in hearts and minds as we talked about this. And, and I, just, I want to present these to you not as like things I made up, but this, this is just the state of the church. And, and so I encourage you, if you begin getting defensive in your heart, just like surrender and go, God, what do we do? Um, what it means to be born again, According, this is what they, they asked people, and this is what the definition they gave to it. First, born-again Christians are those who say they have a personal commitment to Jesus. And that is still important in their life this very day. In addition, when asked um, what they think will happen after they die, they say they believe they will go to heaven because they have confessed Jesus. Um, 
and he is he has uh, forgiven them their sins. So this this is what it means to be born again in a very basic sense. We would agree with that. Um, and then a biblical worldview is this, and these are all things that we would say yes and amen to at the Refuge Church. The first is God is all-knowing, all-powerful, creator of the universe, who still rules that universe today. And we believe that. We believe there is one God who created all things, and he didn't leave the world to itself, but he still rules it. One God. When Jesus Christ was on earth, he lived a sinless life. Yes, we believe that. We believe that because Jesus lived a sinless life and died in our place and rose victorious, that we can all have life in his name. We believe that Satan is not just a symbol of evil, but is a real and living entity. We believe that. Uh, A person cannot earn his or her eternal salvation by being good or doing good things for other people. That salvation is a free gift from God. You can't earn your salvation. Every person who believes in Jesus Christ has a personal responsibility to share his or her faith in him with other people who believe differently. We believe that's our responsibility, right? That, that God didn't just create Christians, but God created the whole world and everything in it, everyone in it, and then they can only find who they truly are and be freed when they come to know that God. Uh, the Bible is totally accurate in all that it teaches. This is a biblical worldview, and only 91% of born-again adults, people who say Jesus is very important to them today and have confessed their sins, would agree with all those things. It's startling. 98% of born-again teenagers do not have a biblical worldview, so wouldn't agree with all those things. Um, 80% of American churches have plateaued or are declining. 64% of Christians have no sense of the presence of God, and, and this statistic is uh, when they come to church. It's specifically relating with church. So that when they come to church, they still just don't, don't feel like God's present. <laughs> like they're meeting with him there. Um, <laughs> as at this point, I'm like, maybe we should just go to the next slide because we're already in this place of like, oh my gosh, this is crazy, right? 1.5 million is the cost per baptism in the, in the U.S. That means all the churches that are, and all, all, the, all the money that's given to the church and the number of people who are baptized, right? The number of people who are coming to faith and being baptized costs about $1.5 million, uh, million per person. I will say that's not what happens at the refuge. I will make a distinction there. But <laughs> um, 30% is the median age of U.S. adults. 36 is the median age of unaffiliated adults, which means people who aren't believers, atheists, agnostics. 49 is the median age of Christian adults, which is very interesting. So, so these are, are sobering statistics, right? They, and by look on your faces, I can see it sobering, and this is what has kept me awake at night, wondering what do we do about this? Um, a question I thought in comparison, what if 95% of U.S. crops failed? Right, and and this comes from this idea of ninety five percent of Christians just aren't aren't reproducing. No one's coming to faith because of that, and and this is startling. Well, what would happen? Well, the U.S. would cease to exist, right? Like we couldn't survive, and and so, thankfully, there is hope. Oh, when things seem impossible, we find. That in Jesus, impossible things can happen. It looks sobering. 95% of people aren't, aren't winning other people to faith. But this, how did Jesus go from being a defeated dead man to leading the world's largest religion? And that, that's kind of this broad scope. This is a huge question. And, and we know it's by the spirit he lived and walked and was raised with power from the dead. His plan, though, was making disciples, right? These, these 12 men 
who, who were kind of knuckleheads, right? Um, who didn't get it along the way. He invested his life in them so that, that they could follow and imitate him in every way. Are you guys tracking with me? In, in Matthew 4.19 it says, Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Not just come follow me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you how you can go and welcome other people into being followers also of me. And this is amazing. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says, but the workers are few. So I think he would look into our current situation. 95% of people aren't sharing their faith in such a way that people are coming to know Jesus. who are Christians. Um, he, he would look into a situation like Kitsap County where 76% of people just say they would never go to church. But he would look into that and he wouldn't be like, you're all screwed. What he, would look at, he would look at that and he would go, the harvest is plentiful. It still is. It's still ripe for harvest, right? Like this place is ready for the kingdom of God to come on it. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in that harvest field. It's not, it's not hopeless. It's full of hope because we're following Jesus. Right? Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> it's not hopeless because we're following Jesus. And this has been done. Jesus led 12 people that turned into 72 people, that turned into 120 people, that turned into 3,000 people, that changed the world. Right? This is Jesus. This is who we're following. This is the plan. Okay? This is exciting. You can be excited about this. <laughs> okay. So, um, this beautiful guy, Dallas Willard, um, wrote a lot on spiritual disciplines. He said, every church needs to be able to answer two questions. Do you have a plan for making disciples? Do you have a plan? Jesus had a plan. Do you have a plan for making disciples? And does your plan work? Is it making disciples? Is it going from only 95% of us? And I, I'm just using this generally. I, I love the refuge. I think we're, a lot of great things are happening. But I will not say that we are completely awesome at this. We have a lot of work to do. A whole lot of work to do. Um, just to follow him and mature in him. right? To mature as a church. To grow up into Jesus. So is our plan working? So what is our plan? We're going to talk about this. The first step, though, is being brutally honest that what we are doing, and I'm talking about, again, U.S., big, big church um, in the U.S., it hasn't been working. And this is, this is a picture right here. Yeah, I have a laser pointer today. Um, is, is the idea of hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. And so being brutally honest, the start of that is just saying, let's be honest, let's start talking about this, like rather than like feeling tense and going, no, tell me I'm doing something right, right? Like we're going to start saying, what, what can we do that would be stronger and better and healthier for our church? So some incredible quotes here. It says, we look around, as Christendom is crumbling, the landscape of the church is forever changing, a stark revelation emerges. Most of us have been trained and educated for a world that no longer exists. And what that means is, are, are the means we're using to communicate and share and talk are they, are they communicating into the world that we're surrounded by? Bonhoeffer, who wrote back in the 1940s, he said this, uh, our speaking of Christ is hopelessly out of touch with the mental climate in which we live. And, and I'm, I'm purely just sharing this. I'm not, again, indicting any of us or the Refuge Church. I'm just saying these are the things we need to be considered and brutally honest about. Are we speaking in such a way that's reaching the mental climate that we're living in Kitsap County? <laughs> the way we're communicating the gospel, not just on Sunday mornings, but... But the way we go and live our lives such that it is reaching 
the people around us? Or are we speaking, communicating in such a way that just doesn't make sense? You tracking? Yeah. Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> well, what is the world that no longer exists? And, and I want to clarify this. The world that lo- no longer exists is a world where everyone goes to church. I mean, we know that, right? If 76% of people say they won't ever go to church in Kitsap County, that means on a given Sunday, right, with half of the people coming, you're probably looking at 90% of people just aren't at church on a given Sunday. I mean, we, so we don't live in a place that, that everyone goes to church. We live in a world that we're, where not everyone thinks favorably about faith anymore. A lot of times it's fear. Like, look at what happened to Orlando. That was, that was a terrible sort of faith that led that man to, to kill people, right? And so people aren't thinking favorably. It's more and more that the climate's turning to think unfavorably about faith. I'm just talking about faith in general, not the Christian faith. Just people think of religion and they think about it more negatively than ever before. Um, where the we're, uh, we live in a world where people feel, um, we're, oh, so we no longer live in a world where people feel convicted about not going to church. So oftentimes we'll not go to church and it'll be like any other given day, right? A world where not everyone knows John 3.16. When we started the Coffee Oasis, that was one of the biggest revelations to us is that there were kids in our community that when the name of Jesus came up, they were it was like you were talking to them about a superhero they never heard of. It was just, it had no relationship with their life at all. And, and so we live in a world where John 3.16, no longer, people don't know it. Um, a world where the Bible is a respected authority for truth. If you talk about the Bible, people are very prepared to be like, I just don't buy that. <laughs> but the sobering thing is I think maybe that world never existed here. We just maybe pretended it does. What does discipleship look like in this new world? First, I want to talk about, oh, <laughs> what discipleship is not. Okay? So discipleship is not being the Bible answer man. Um, this, this wasn't the, the way I was raised by my parents, but this was definitely the way I grew up with an idea of a lot of classes I went to, like apologetics. I was, I was really into like being, having a ready defense for every question. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, like, just try me. Like, give me your doubt and I will give you my answer. Right? This idea that like, we just get so strong with answers that that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We just like cram our brains full of info so if you ask me a question, I can defeat your doubt. Right? Like that, that isn't what discipleship is. It is growing in wisdom, but this, this doesn't define something. It's not a book study. I, I, have some, I have multiple pastor buddies who, for discipling their guys, they took them through Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which is a 1,200-page dense read. And like by the end of that, they're just like, Jesus, they are like Jesus. In every, no, that didn't happen. They had a lot more information. But honestly, they probably were worse at, com- at, at communicating to the mental climate of their times, right? So it's not just a book study. We want to become like Jesus with more information. It's not being hip. This is a, this is a, a pic, picture of hipster Jesus who's a, a texting his disciples like, hey, we're going to do a baptism down by the Jordan River next week, just letting you know. Um, but oftentimes... Uh, we think that the meeting the mental climate of our time is being really cool. And so the cooler you are and the better you relate, then, you're, then you more, 
represent Jesus. I don't know, but that's what it can look like. Um, I'm not, don't worry, Josh, I'm not hitting the cardigan. Cardigans are cool, okay? <laughs> You're not wearing it today. <laughs> uh, and the last thing is this, and this is where, when I presented this to my class, things got really tense because I, I wanted us to be really honest. Brutal honesty, right? The discipleship is not happening. And what do I mean by that? I mean the Jesus call was twofold. Come follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. So, so what I'm, I'm asking us to just be honest about, and this is hard, this is hard for me, is to go, sure, there are people that are doing it. Yes, and, and those people could be here. So if you are, I'm not talking to you. But for us, maybe, who have responded and saying, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but we haven't followed that up by fishing for people also. We, we have to say that that isn't happening. It's not happening in its full maturity in our lives. Are we on the same page with that? Like, let Jesus define discipleship. And what Jesus defines discipleship by is, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of people. Twofold, right? Um, so, it, it isn't in large part happening. Simply backed up by that 95% of Christians will never see someone come to, to know Jesus in their entire lifetime because of their testimony. Now, that's sobering. Okay? So, Step two is a personal assessment. And I want us to just talk about the church because I think, I think we have a, a great foundation from which to work from. Um, the theological vision of the Refuge Church is this, a church of the city incarnating King Jesus. It means bringing the life of Christ alive into city life, speaking its language, singing its rhythm, sharing its spaces, freeing the oppressed, fighting injustice, finding people of peace, inviting the city into the kingdom of God, a city meeting Jesus. That's what we want to be. We want to be a place where we see Christ, Jesus, who is, who is God, who came down to invite us into relationship with himself. And in relationship with him, we are healed and are able then to build relationships with other people, healing relationships with other people. That's, that's the mission and vision of the Refuge Church. And we believe that just as much today as ever before. The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? It's not just having a cool statement. I've actually heard people like, read our website and be like, you guys got it. And, and I, think, I think we have great foundation here. The question is, we need to constantly be asking ourselves, how are we doing and how do we do that? Right? What is your plan and how is it working? So, <clears throat> the plan forward came from this quote I read by Aubrey Malfers. It says, does your church have a clear and simple, memorable path for making disciples? A pathway that most understand and know where they are along the way. So I'm going to share with you guys uh, the, the plan that as elders we've talked about and, and that not only can you, you see how it progresses into, and this is, a, this is the key word, maturity, growing in your faith, that where you're at now, you can continue growing in your faith, growing up into him, right? So, so this is the plan, not perfect, but we're going we're gonna to throw our energy behind this, not just the elders, but the whole church. And, and so that in this, the reason by having a path is that you know where you're at. You can, you can say, how am I doing at, at growing personally or, or gathering, committing to one another, right? So I'll take you along this and then we'll talk about how Jesus can bring this alive. So the first is this. The first path, first step along the path of discipleship is committing to follow Jesus. 
It's committing to follow him. Jesus, I am following you no matter where you go. 1 John 2.6 says, 2, says, whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as he did. Whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as he did. The practices for this, um, we've broken down each into three practices, reflection, and goals. So the practices that we hope to see come alive here are baptism. People are getting baptized. July 3rd, we got a baptism happening here. Three, yeah, super exciting. Um, yeah, Carrie's on fire today. I just feel like I should just pass Carrie the mic. Um, so Alpha Series, which is, we'll be explaining more later, but it's a way for us to invite other people who aren't, aren't Christians or even us just grow into the real basics of the faith. Um, who is God? Who's Jesus? Uh, what does the, the death and resurrection of Jesus mean for us? How do I read the Bible? How do I pray? And we'll, we'll watch these really simple videos together and then talk about it over a meal. Um, Jesus ministry, which is showing us once we've committed to following Jesus, how we can be freed from past hurt and past pain. Reflection on this, and, and I really want you guys to tune into the reflection points here because we want to we be able to ask each other the hard questions and say, is this happening? So the reflection is, is something keeping you from simply following Jesus? Or is something keeping us from simply following Jesus? Right? That we can ask each other these questions and be really brutally honest. Let me tell you, something is keeping me from following Jesus. It's been the thing consuming my heart and my mind. And I can't stop thinking about it. And we can start helping one another. Moving, is Jesus' ministry praying for those things, moving past those things by his grace and through his power. And evidence, I, I do believe there will be evidences if we do these things. People getting baptized, people being a part of officers and being hungry to know more about Jesus. The second step along the path is growing. So committed to personal maturity in faith. So why we say personal maturity in here is, is when you commit to following Jesus, there's things that you can do to grow, and if you do not do them, you will not grow, right? That makes it pretty... If you do not eat food, you will die of starvation, right? It's, it's kind of like that. It, it, is, it is very basic. If you do not do these things, and you ask yourself the question, why do I feel like I'm not growing in my faith? Maybe, maybe this is why, but maybe one of the reasons is where you aren't living from a biblical worldview, trusting Jesus uh, for what he says to be true and, and walking by faith in that way. Um, so we're going to help you understand that. It's one of the things we'll put our energy behind as elders, prayer, Bible reading. And so is when we ask these reflection questions, are you growing in your faith? What if, what if we surveyed the church? And that really, honestly, is our plan. Just take a survey. And, and it'll be anonymous, don't worry. Um, and what if it says, what if 20% of people say they're growing in their faith at the refuge? I want to know those things, right? Because I want to I know if we can do better. Helping, we can pray for that as a church. And we can be accountable to one another as a church. Um, so we are practicing the spiritual disciplines together. So we are growing in faith. We're being real honest about that. Next is um, gathering, committed to following Jesus together, committed to one another. When you fall down, I'm going to help pick you back up because I'm committed to you. I'm not just going to show up whenever I want. I'm going to, I'm going to show up because, because I want 
to see and hear what God is doing, but I also just want to commit to to that happening in your life as well. And Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Guys, when there's a commitment to one another, this is possible. When, when I know I can count on you, it's possible, and I anticipate what I can share with you about what God's doing in my life, and I anticipate hearing from you what God is doing in your life. This is amazing. Right? The certainty of that that can come through Sunday gatherings, community group, as we let the word of Christ dwell among us richly. Refuge groups like Refuge Women and Steel Cut Men. The reflection on this is, do you feel alone or known in your faith? What if we pulled the church, um, we, we did a, a survey, and what if 40% of people said, honestly, I feel totally alone in my faith? That's something we want to talk about as a church family, Right? <laughs> We want to know that, and we want, to, we want to be able to be there for one another. We want to know how we can excel at, at being known. And I don't, I'm not, we offer these things not as answers, as more as like, how do we walk in maturity together? There's times I feel, I've felt alone in my faith, and, and I need people to be committed to me, right? To, to following Jesus with me, that we do this together when you fall down. I'm going to help pick you back up again. Um, I think that will lead to us being more committed to Sundays together, but also refuge church plants. I, um, we've, we would love to see a refuge church in gathering in the Port Orchard Coffee Oasis, at the Paulsville Coffee Oasis. And we're not thinking like, raise a quarter million dollars and then send 100 people. This is like, what if 15 people just start gathering really faithfully and being the body of Christ up there? That would be amazing. <laughs> Incredible, as we hope. This will overflow into uh, just rich love, compassion, generosity to the communities that we are in, right? To be a church of the city in Bremerton, be a church of the city in Paulsbo or Port Orchard. So gathering together. And the, the fourth is committed to giving, committed to radical generosity. And, and let this verse just memorize it, marinate in it. Second uh, Corinthians 8, 2 says this, in the midst of, of very severe trial, the Macedonian church's overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. Isn't that great? Uh, overflowing joy matched with extreme poverty produced rich generosity. Um, I'll just share what it looks like in my life. Well, oftentimes what it looks like is um, sort of going through life, uh, highs and lows, um, matched by incredible financial blessing by God, just me having my needs taken care of, produces mediocre giving, right? <laughs> That's often the equation that, that our, my life looks like. I'm not even going to say your life. I don't know your context. But, but this is overflowing joy matched with extreme poverty. Produces rich generosity. Why? Because they were so excited about what God had done for them. That it overflowed into rich generosity. And, and in so many ways we have a, such a rich and generous church. I don't, I don't know um, at all the, the statistics in our church, like what percent gives. But I do know this. Nationwide, it's pretty sobering. The highest the highest um, estimation people give is that two out of ten people in church give financially to the church. 
two out of ten people in the church actually are radically generous giving to the church. And, uh, and the low estimation is one out of ten. And so the, the reflections that come with this, with serving, giving your time, giving financially, are what does your money and time say about your heart? Right? What does your bank account say about your heart? What does the way you use your time say about your heart? Because what Jesus says is, is where those go, your heart is just like chasing after that, right? That it's not like I put my heart in a place and then I give to that. Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be. Are you caring for your church family or just looking to be cared for? It's a great question to ask yourself. And honestly, I don't ask these questions. I know they can sound really convicting. I'm not asking this going like, oh yeah. Right? Like I'm not trying to convict us. I'm just, I'm asking us the question that will help us assess our maturity and discipleship at this place. Are you caring for your church family or just looking to be cared for? And if you come week after week going like, what can I get? But never like, never diving in and, and giving generously of your time to one another, picking them up, giving financially, um, I think you will find that, that your heart will be in a far more unstable place. So evidence of this is us being able to meet our budget every month, um, which is challenging in a lot of months. Uh, refuge team volunteer officer fields. That means all the, the kids are getting cared for because we have plenty of people going, yeah, I'll care for our kids. We don't have any problems with setting up on Sunday mornings. We have people going, yeah, I'll be there. Like, you can't stop me from being there. Why? Because I'm, I'm just caring for, for my church. And this shouldn't be utopian. It sounds utopian, doesn't it? <laughs> but it shouldn't be. Because why? Because in the midst of maybe even severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. This is an exciting vision of what the church can be. Um, man, let's do this together. The, oh, whoa, whoa. Committed to inviting others to follow Jesus. This is the last. Invite. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Let's commit to inviting other people to following Jesus. That, as we walk into maturity of discipleship together, we're not, just, we're not just following him, but we are going out and fishing for people through hospitality, merely inviting people into your home, having a good time, playing some board games, talking about Jesus. Evangelism, which is local missions. It could be volunteering with uh, late night at the coffee oasis, mentoring a child. Um, it could be doing the prayer walking that we're starting to do together. Um, missions, which is global missions, going abroad, um, yourself supporting others who are going, being invested in inviting other people to follow Jesus also, personally committing to that. And the reflections, do you feel confident and excited to share your faith? That's something that you, you just anticipated. Man, I just long to speak with somebody about Jesus. Do you share your faith weekly? Um, what would it look like if, of the Refuge Church shared their faith weekly with people who didn't know Jesus. What would that look like? That'd be incredible, right? That'd be amazing. Imagine that if we we were committed to one another to do this. But imagine if half the church, that's about maybe 125 people, all volunteered with the Coffee Oasis. Wow! We wouldn't have any need for volunteers. It'd be taken care of. Um... 
40 people prayer walking, 25 people sent yearly for global missions. What if, if these were things we committed to do? Why? So we don't just say, I follow Jesus. We follow Jesus and we're committing to maturity and faith and going and making disciples. Um, this is the slide before it. The step four is, is this, which is really interesting. Lose control. And what I mean by this is what we've laid out is a plan, okay? And it's not perfect, and it won't be done by your own power. Sorry. <laughs> it won't be you, like, making a list and being like, oh, I'm, I am awesome at gathering. I'm giving, like, 90% of everything I make. I'm living in a yurt, right? Like, what? It's not you just making a plan and doing it. It's, it's us learning to lose control and, and letting, letting God do the work in our hearts to make us desire this and love this and go for it. Lose control. In John 3, it says, The wind blows wherever it wants to. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. <laughs> you don't know what God's going to do with you because you've just made yourself available to Him. And the things that he has, he has showed you very clearly do, you're being faithful with those things, but you're also just saying, Lord, here's my life. All of it. It's exciting. Acts 1.4, it is not for you to know the time or days the Father is sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So I'm not just going, hey, go be disciples. I'm going, follow Jesus. And these are things we can be faithful with. But we're wanting him to take charge and take control of our lives so we can do this together. We're not, we're not like trying to arouse conviction in one another like, hey, have you read your Bible this week? Hint, hint. You should feel bad if you haven't. No, it's not that at all. It's not that at all. It's, it's just wanting, wanting Jesus to take control of our lives, wanting the Holy Spirit to literally come down and, and give us his desires. But we can be faithful with these things, and we want to do that as a church. Um, I'm going to just end with this quote here. Um, it says simply this, and I don't know if this will challenge you, this deeply challenged me. It said, A mind cluttered by excuses may make a mystery out of discipleship, or it may see it as something to be dreaded, but there's no mystery about desiring and intending to be like someone. That is a very common thing, and if we really do intend to be like Jesus, that will be obvious to every thoughtful person around us as well as to ourselves. If we really intend to be like him, I think that will be evident to us and those around us. Um, I just want to encourage you with this and, and just say as, as elders and as a church, we're going we're gonna to put attention to this, not just calling people to be followers of Jesus, but I'm excited about us maturing in faith, growing up into him who's ahead. And so that with overflowing joy, we can be radically generous with our entire lives. And as a church, we'll look more and more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Father, forgive us for the ways at times we make what you've made clear, mysterious. We want to turn our eyes to you and just look fully at you and see how you walk in your way. And we want to go in that direction. We want to go. We want to follow you. Help us be both honest with one another and incredibly gracious and loving with one another. Help us spur one another on to 
to go after you with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. Please, please help us as a refuge do this. We love you and we need you. Amen.